Welcome, welcome. It's BNGB, me, me, me. Welcome to my podcast, if you better say it. And tonight's podcast, I will be talking about the different eras. What era did you grow up in? What was it like? What was the generational curse that you're trying to break? Um, yeah, tell me about what it was like growing up. So I'm going to start with me, BNGB. So I grew up in the 80s. I am a 80s baby. I grew up in the crack epidemic, early crack epidemic. The awesome Mayor Barry, Mayor Marion Barry. Uh, Bill Clinton was uh, the man back then, but since that time, things have transpired. Facts and things have come out. I don't know all the details. I'm not really all that political, but whatever the case may be, I had a fucking... Hell of a upbringing, hell of a era. So, let me just tell you, fifth grade, I mean, growing up, five years old, my mom and dad were together up until five. Then my father was kicked out of the home because he was using drugs. He was a drug addict, and my mother wasn't tolerating it. Um, I used to get chased home every day by this fat kid. He was a fucking fat fucker. I don't know why he used to chase me home. Maybe because I probably used to joan on him because I was very funny, quite the comedian. I was the class clown. I always liked to crack jokes and joan. Everybody knew it in my neighborhood. I was fucking funny and fast. I was super fast. Um, uh, let's see. So fast forward to probably between like 7 to 11 or 7 to 12, I had began be- getting molested. Now, before I got molested, I grew up in a household where my grandmother owned the house and she had a many of generations of her children stayed there and her children's children. And it was awesome at that time up until the molestation. So when the molestation transpired, I hated everybody. I felt like, why me? Where's my dad? I used to write these notes in, in, in the composition book and I had this memo book and I would always write I hated my mom I hated my dad I just felt like nobody was there to save me nobody could protect me I was a timid little girl I was petite I had long beautiful black hair and everybody loved me and I think that's probably why I was a target for the pedophile but moving forward I was molested by a family member. It was an older relative. Um, um, that happened for about maybe two to three years. I know it was more than one year. I know that. Like I said, when traumatic events happen, we tend to block out those events because you don't want to think about them. But I'm going to take a quick break, and then I'll be back with what it was like growing up in the 80s for me. I'm back. So, continuing on. Um, let me see. Where did I leave off? I believe the molestation. So, okay. So, um, my mom, I love my mom to death. I get my sense of humor for her. I get my, I'm a giver. I give my genuine, my genuosity or my generosity. Generosity and my genuineness for my mom. Um, and my sign. I'm a Sagittarius. I was born December 14th, 1979. 
And all Sagittarius are overall great people. We're people people. We're people persons. We get along with mostly everybody. Um, yeah, but like I said, my mother was a no-nonsense mom. She was very strict. You know, like I said, she did the best that she could, you know, with how she was brought up. And, you know, she tried to instill that in me. Whatever she went through for her to be strict on me, um, I know she meant well. But being strict on your children is not always the best option or best idea i think this day and age we need to talk to our children communicate more listen more ask questions pay attention um but nevertheless my mom was very strict i back in the 80s when street lights came on i had to be home if not that was definitely cause for an ass whooping or punishment um i remember i used to be punished for months on end because i always didn't, you know, probably broke the rules, probably didn't, wasn't out when the street lights came on, or didn't hear my mom when she called my name from that front porch, um, but like I said, um, I, there was this lady that lived on our street, um, she was like the church, the church lady, you know, it's always that one lady on the block that wants to bring you to church, or wants to tell you about the good Lord, and how the good Lord can change your life, um, she had started, coming around and was like, hey, you know, let me take your kids up to the church. You got a lot of programs up there. That's the best thing they need. You know, the drugs is going on in the neighborhood. And although there were drugs going on in the neighborhood, we didn't know. I myself didn't know that there were crackheads walking amongst us or heroin addicts. I was too busy being a kid. And the way I was raised, a child was to be seen and not heard. So that was that. But yeah, so I would go up to the church. Um, I was like, so I might be skipping back and forth because, like I said, a lot of things are blurred out. When you blurred out some parts of your memory, you you blurred out other parts that weren't affiliated with the traumatic event, but it was around the time. So I know it because of this woman who uh, recommended that we go to the church that was in near proximity to my home. I remember I was a Girl Scout. I was in the choir. Um, I uh, went to Sunday school, Bible study, vacation Bible study, whatever it took to get me out of the house. Like I said, my mom was so strict. I was at church all the time. And of course, I took my sibling, my little brother, who later came to be my mom, got pregnant, and she had my little brother. And I love my brother and also have. We are very close to this very day. Um, but yeah, so him and my little cousin, I also had a little cousin who resided in the home with my grandmom as well. Um, we all were very close. We were like peas in a pod. So they, you know, I walked into school every day and walked back home. We went to elementary school together because we're not that far in proximity and age. And I would take them to church with me also. So I, as a eight, nine, ten-year-old, would go to church with my two siblings, brother and cousin, by myself. You know, the elders of the church would oversee us during that cloud, and I was alone. And I was very manageable, very respectful, because I saw my grandmother and my mom raised me, and my ne- and my cousin and my brother portrayed the same uh, mannerisms. Um, but yeah, so the molestation began. I became very withdrawn. I mean, I still was like happy to a certain extent, I think, because. I really didn't start fighting until, like I said, probably like 11, 12. And that's when I got my first simple assault charge. So, 
after the molestation began, maybe like a year, a year to three years, I then, a family member had divulged to my mom the acts that I was doing that I wasn't childlike. So then I stopped going around that family member who was molesting me because I would go there on the weekends or on days that my mom had to work. The mother of the family member that molested me was wasn't babysitting because these things wouldn't have taken place. But nevertheless, they did. So I stopped going around the molester. And then we started going to a neighborhood uh, friend of the family who at that time was on crack cocaine, but I was not aware that she was on crack. I just thought she was the mother of the neighbors and classmates who I also was made to be my boyfriend because the second molester was his cousin. So I was not only molested by a family member, a male family member, I was then molested by a female predator uh, who was the niece of the then babysitter who was a crackhead. Um, but yeah, so, so that went on for maybe some months or a year. Like I said, a lot of the events I had um, blocked out. And she was a fat bitch who was stinky. And I will never forget her smell was horrible. She smelled like a gym bag or something. Because, you know, some fat people have this smell with them. Like, I don't know what it is, but you fat and or, or, or obese or overweight, you know you have this smell, musty type of smell about you. Some of them. Not all. Some of them. But yeah, so I'm going to cut this segment short, take a break, and then I'll come back and proceed to tell you about my life growing up in the 80s. Um, so like I was saying, um, I began to be molested by a female predator uh, at some point uh, in my early adolescent uh, childhood. Um, after that, we began to stay with um, another. So our neighborhood, everybody knew each other. Everybody, the mothers knew the mothers, the fathers, everybody knew each other. The aunts, uncles, the cousins, the nieces, the sisters. The, the neighborhood that I lived in, everyone knew everyone. So then there was a young a lady that was an actual caretaker um, who used to watch the neighborhood kids. So we went there and they did charge, of course. The other places where I stayed were free, where we were being watched at were free because one was a relative and one was uh, neighbor. She may have charged, but I'm not 100% sure. But I know for a fact the third babysitter that we began to stay with did charge because she was um, an actual caregiver or, um, you know, she watched kids or whatever. So 
We ended up staying there, and I remember I used to hate it there. Not so much that they was a bad place, but because we were less fortunate, and you know, kids, you know, the other kids that were there, their parents would send them with snacks, and we didn't have any snacks. We would have to eat what was provided by the babysitter, which we were grateful for. But there were times when the children of the babysitter, you know, would like taunt us and you know, do little things, things that kids do, no big deal, no big, no big thing. It wasn't a really impactful event in my life. I just remember that and I just wanted to speak on it because kids can be mean sometimes. Um, But we were no longer able to stay there because my mom couldn't afford to uh, pay whatever fee was being charged. Uh, By that time, I began lashing out. I began fighting. Like I said, I got my first assault charge when I was about 13. And from then on, I was like a hellraiser. I started drinking to, you know, ease the pain. Because I did tell one person about the molestation. And like I said, growing up in that era, people didn't really want to talk about things. They just wanted you to keep quiet. They didn't think it affected you because you weren't physically acting out at that time or mentally acting out at that time. So they probably just thought, you'll be okay. You'll grow up. You'll get over it. Everything's going to work out. Well, that wasn't the case for me. But I, again, I began drinking, smoking marijuana, you know, getting into fights, getting suspended from school. I ended up staying back. because I was the class clown. I was very smart, but I didn't take school seriously. I didn't take anything seriously because I was angry. You know, I felt like nobody, nobody was there for me. Nobody cared. Nobody knows my pain. So I'm going to inflict pain on any and everybody as much as possible anyway, by any means necessary. And And then moving into the 90s. The 90s era, I was still poor. I was no longer wearing pro wings. Um, I got my first pair of Reebok Classics in the sixth grade because I was in the the little parade that the school has every every year. And I was damned. I was like, look, Mom, I'll be damned if I'm going to be in a goddamn safety safety patrol parade. That's what it was called. I was like, look, I'll be damned if I walk in the safety patrol parade down Constitution Avenue in front of the world with goddamn pro wings on. That just wasn't happening. So um, I got my first pair of name brand shoes. And then from there, I began selling crack because, like I said, my mom, it was now my brother and me. And my sister eventually came and my mom was working and she couldn't do but so much. And I was wearing, you know, hand-me-downs and clothes that were no longer popular at this day and age. They were no longer popular. They were no more a fad or a brand. They went out of style and I was still wearing those items. So I began selling crack because that was the thing to do. Crack was selling. Crack was how most people made their money. You know, you see the drug dealers in your neighborhood. You know, they looking nice, driving nice cars. So you're like, shoot, I'm going to try to get me some drugs, get me some money, so it'll make it easier on my mother. That's really the mentality that you have. So when people sell drugs, most people that are in these poverty-stricken areas, well, back then, and they didn't have the programs that they have now, you know, um, I definitely can relate But today is a different time, and there are different programs. There are many, many, many avenues to take aside from selling drugs. But I'm not being judgmental. That's just my opinion. So, yeah, fast forward to the 90s. The molestation eventually stopped. Um, There was an incident where 
uh, after my mom was pregnant with her now third child, my little sister, uh, we were no longer living at grandma's. We moved with my sister's dad, and then there was a pedophile there. And he was put out the next morning because I didn't, I wasn't quiet for that pedophile. I kind of screamed because he was like hovering over me as I woke out of my sleep and he was put out. So that didn't go anywhere. It was just a pedophile attempt. And then I had another relative uh, who did some pedophile-ish things, uh, but it was like I was like a fucking poster girl for pedophiles or something. I don't know what I had on my forehead. I don't know if it was resonating for my skin or my pores. But it was horrible. It was like fucking pedophile nightmare or some shit. But, yep, so I began to go on to smoke harder drugs, PCP, pop pills. I mean, I was just an animal. I was out of control. And then I caught my second charge as an adult, which was attempted armed robbery which kind of turned me around a tad bit. I mean, I was like going, uh, like I was like going going out of control, like on my way to hell or some shit. Like I was could have been dead had I not went to prison. So prison opened some doors. I was able to get dual diagnosis, which means they help you with your drug addiction and any psychiatric issues that you may be dealing with, which most people are dealing with when they drink and drug to the point that they don't even want to feel anything. They just want to drink to be passing out or drink to be numb. But yeah, so that's pretty much how it was until I had my daughter uh, in 2002. Now we're into the millennium, the millennium, the 2000, the 20th century. Um, I changed my life drastically from the horrific events that transpired for the latter part of my Uh, childhood, young adult, adult life. I made a lot of mistakes. I learned a lot of lessons. And today I am a better person because of it. Um, It's one day at a time, one foot in front of the other. We just have to pay attention, make wise decisions, and try to stay positive, try to have some type of spiritual insight, not so much religion, but a spiritual entity or being that, you know, you can call on or look up to or believe in to get you through those tough times because everybody needs somebody and it's not always another human being. Um, so, yep, that's it. That's how it was growing up for me in the 80s and... Thank you for listening to my podcast. It was awesome. And you guys have a wonderful evening. Angie B, you better say it.